Hi, I'm James Anderson Foster, and you're listening to Who's Afraid, a weekly podcast of awesome serialized horror fiction written by amazing authors, performed for you by professional narrators, and brought to you by SerialAudio.com. It's totally binge-worthy. Chapter 5 The room was stifling. The old woman who had answered the door had gone back to a small wooden chair in front of the fireplace. There were several others arranged in a circle around a handmade coffee table. She picked up a steaming cup of tea and sipped noisily as a thin trickle of liquid ran over her chin and dripped into her lap. She brushed it away absently and smiled up with a mouthful of yellow, crooked teeth. Susan felt safe in her company, like a weekend trip to Grandma's house. Ma'am, Ted panted, we don't want to scare you, but there are things out there. They've been chasing us for miles. Don't you worry yourself over them, she cackled. They know better than to bother with me. We need to use your phone, Susan added. We were in a car accident and we need to get out of here. The old woman spread her arms and snickered. Does it look like I have a telephone, young lady? They don't run lines down here. No electricity, no running water. Susan felt hope of rescue slipping away. She looked around the cabin and saw the old woman was telling the truth. There wasn't a single appliance. No blender, no coffee maker, no refrigerator, no television. How can someone live this way? I know what you're thinking, Missy, the woman said. I'm from a simpler time. I have no need for new-fangled gadgets. But we need help, Ted groaned. What do you do if you get in trouble? Trouble, she asked. No trouble here. She sipped her tea again and placed it on the table. Can I get you two some tea? I just made it. No, thank you, Susan said. Tea isn't going to get us out of here. No, of course not, the woman laughed. But it'll warm your bones. Why don't you both take a seat? Keep an old woman company for a spell. Ted had no desire to stay here longer than he had to, but warm tea and a comfortable chair sounded inviting. He and Susan exchanged a glance. Susan shrugged, and they stepped into the circle in front of the fireplace. The fire crackled and spit. Warmth seeped into their bones. Take off your shoes, the woman demanded. Put them by the fire. They'll be dry in no time. Ma'am, we really can't stay. We need to get up to the resort. Find a phone. Our families are going to start wondering where we are. She waved her hand and brushed off Ted's comments. Are you in a hurry to get back out there? The rain isn't going to slow down anytime soon. It's always raining here. And obviously you've caught the attention of the hounds. The hounds? Susan asked. She sat in a straight back chair across from the woman. Ted sat next to his wife protectively. Something was off about the old woman and he couldn't put his finger on it. You mean the wolves? One name is as good as another, she said. Once they catch your scent, they're relentless. Nothing more than a nuisance, if you ask me. Nuisance? Ted shouted. 
They nearly killed us. Oh, I don't doubt that, she laughed. Susan and Ted shared a nervous glance as the old woman toddled to an ancient wood stove and poured two mugs of steaming water. She placed them on the table and fell back into her chair. Drink that, she ordered. It'll calm your nerves. Susan sniffed at the aromatic steam and wrapped her hands around the warm mug, feeling her skin tingle from the heat. Ted eyed his mug warily and pushed it away. Do you think I'm trying to poison you, lad? No, ma'am, he huffed. I just don't want any. Ted, drink it, Susan said. It's wonderful, she sighed. Heat flooded her body. The woman nodded, pleased. It's not often I get company, she said. Tell me what's wrong. How did you get here? We went off the road, Susan offered. Our cell phone doesn't work and we're being chased by those monsters. Those hounds. Lights in the sky, whispering voices. What is this place? The woman nodded as if it was a story she was familiar with. She showed little interest, sipping at her tea and plucking at her old dress with crooked arthritic fingers. If I had a nickel for every time a young couple wound up in these woods, I'd be a very rich old woman. You mean this happens a lot? Susan asked. Sure, the woman replied. All the time. That road is dangerous. There are dozens of cars out there going back decades. Even a bus or two, if I recall. A bus? Ted asked. Yes, sir. An old school bus. Came off the road about thirty years ago. A whole bus of little ones. It's harder when they're so young, you know? A lot of broken dreams in this forest. Ted found he was suddenly interested in the old woman's stories. Her voice was soothing. He grabbed his mug, sipped, and placed it back on the table. He couldn't remember anything tasting so sweet. One of those things grabbed me, Ted said, and dragged me into the woods. His face twisted from the memory. Then you're one of the lucky ones, the woman said. Not many get away from the hounds. It took me somewhere, a cave, a burning cave. The woman raised her eyebrows. That would have been the end of you. Take my word for it. But what is it? Ted asked. I heard voices. He coughed and cleared his throat to keep from crying. These woods have been a place of power for centuries, the woman answered. A thin line exists here one between this world and others. Those hounds and the figures you've seen in the forest don't belong here. They're trapped. Trapped? Susan asked. I don't understand. No, I don't imagine you will. I don't even understand everything, and I've been here since your granddaddy's parents were still in the womb. Can we go back a minute? Susan asked. What exactly do you mean about a thin line? Just what I said, she responded. She would offer nothing more in the form of an answer. She sipped her tea and watched them closely. There's a war going on here, and you two crashed right in the middle of it. Ted's mind felt fuzzy. Between the heat and the strange brew the woman had concocted, he was beginning to grow tired, like he'd eaten a large meal and needed to curl up on the couch and nap away the afternoon. Afternoon? Morning? Night? What time is it anyway? Susan felt the effects as well, 
She struggled to raise the mug to her lips, spilling some down the front of her rain slicker. She looked over at Ted and saw he was having the same problem. His head nodded and his eyes had grown glassy. The woman watched them, smiling, sipping at her tea frequently. Go ahead, she said. Finish your drinks. You'll feel so much better if you do. What did you put in here? Susan slurred. You drugged us. I did nothing of the sort, she said. Just drink. When you're done, you're going to thank me. Susan listened as Ted began snoring lightly. The woman stood, walked to Ted and removed his shoes and raincoat, placing them by the fire. She grabbed a log from a small wooden crate and tossed it into the flames. Susan had a million questions, but her lips wouldn't form words. She mumbled incoherently as the woman removed her slicker and hung it next to Ted's. She took their mugs and put them in a wash basin, looking over her shoulder and humming a tune under her breath. Rain lashed the cabin, their pursuers, the hounds bayed in the distance, sad, mournful cries. Why are you doing this? Susan managed. Just close your eyes. Everything will be better when you awake. The tea will throw off your scent, she added. Those hounds won't bother you again, for a while at least. The woman covered them with thick blankets and returned to the wash basin. The mugs clinked together musically as she rinsed them and placed them on the counter. Susan's blanket was itchy, but she couldn't scratch, couldn't move at all. Everything was fuzzy. She heard what was happening around her but couldn't react. They were at the woman's mercy. Susan felt as if she was floating, like she was under some powerful anesthetic. Maybe just a quick nap, she thought. That's more like it, the woman soothed. No sense fighting it. You can hear my thoughts? The woman laughed, put the clean mugs aside and took her seat next to the fire. Rest, my darling. Nothing good comes out of exhaustion. You'll need all your strength to get out of here. All your strength and all your will. Susan was shaken harshly. She moaned in her throat and snuggled beneath the blanket. She wasn't ready to leave her warm place. Not yet. Ted could wait. Susie, come on, Ted said. You have to wake up. I don't want to she mumbled. Another five minutes. This isn't like sleeping in on a Saturday morning, he scolded. You have to get up. Now. She stretched her arms over her head and yawned. She felt disconnected, like she'd been sleeping for ages. She wanted to curl up beneath the blanket and stay there. Damn it, Susan, you have to get up. Ted pulled the blanket from her and tossed it aside. A cloud of dust drifted into the air. Gray light shined in from gaps in the newspaper covering the windows. It was light outside. Overcast, but light. Susan sat up and looked around the cabin. How long was I sleeping? She asked. I don't know, Ted replied. I've only been awake a few minutes. Where's the old woman? Gone, he stated. Nowhere to be found. I even looked outside. You went out? I had no choice. I needed to find out for myself. Ted walked to the wash basin and brought over one of the mugs. And look at this. He held out the mug to Susan and she wrinkled her brow. That's impossible, she blurted. 
the mug was covered in thick, gray dust, as if it had been there forever. She wiped a finger over the surface of the mug and looked at the dingy coating of grime covering her skin. She stood on wobbly legs and scanned the small room. The hearth was cold and dead, the rough stone coated in soot. A layer of dust covered everything. Thick cobwebs hung from the corners of the room, fluttering in the breeze generated from their passing. The empty husks of flies and other insects dotted the webs in the dirty, wooden slats of the floor. I don't understand, Susan said. It wasn't like this last night. Last night? More like last year. Last century. That's ridiculous. It's surely only been a few hours. Then you explain it, Ted shouted. You think this happened overnight? I can't explain it. It doesn't make any sense. What do you remember? Ted asked. Not much. The fire, the heat, the tea. The tea she fucking drugged, he yelled. She was in my head, Susan said. She could hear my thoughts. Now who's being ridiculous? I'm serious. She answered me like I was talking out loud. It was so bizarre. That's one way to put it, Ted grumbled. At least it's light out. Susan looked at her watch and frowned. The digital display had gone dead. Ted poked around in the ashes in the fireplace and grunted. Just hours ago, the cabin was like an oven. Now the air was chilly and damp. Ted kicked at a small wicker basket and it toppled over, spilling its contents onto the floor with a clatter. What the hell is this? he asked, puzzled. Dozens of cell phones lie scattered on the floor, some of them well over a decade old. Susan studied them and reached into the pile, trying to power them on to no avail. They were all as dead as this forgotten cabin. She tried one after another, tossing them to the floor with an irritated sigh. How strange, Susan whispered. Strange? This is some serial killer shit, he replied. We are not dead. Confused, but not dead. Then why did she drug us? I don't know, Ted, but if she wanted us dead, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Ted paced the room, trying to gather his thoughts. His aches and pains had been erased by the soothing heat of the flame. Where'd she go? You saw her. She must have been ninety years old. She didn't just grab a coat and go for a hike. Some older folks are perfectly capable, Ted. For Christ's sake, Susan, would you stop fooling yourself? Ted exploded. We're not going to figure it out if you're just going to keep yelling at me. I don't mean to shout, Ted said, calming himself. I'm just scared. Giant fucking dogs, caves full of voices, lights in the sky. Now this? He pointed at the pile of phones and kicked them aside. What did she say? This is a place of power? What the hell does that even mean? A thin line, Susan uttered. Means nothing. The crazy ramblings of an old woman, that's all. She doesn't have a working phone, but apparently she collects the damn things. Look where she lives, he said, his voice escalating. How does she get food? How does she survive out here? I'm sure there's an explanation, Susan said. Sure there is, Ted mocked. She's batshit crazy. She drugged us and ran off so we didn't bury her out in the yard. Okay, enough with that, Susan said. We're fine, she's gone, and we still have to get to the resort and call for help. I'm not fine, Ted stammered. I feel like I'm losing my mind. Susan wrapped her arms around him and hugged tightly. She looked up and kissed him on the lips.
deeply, passionately. What was that for? he asked. Did that feel like you're losing your mind? Ted grinned and his features softened. That's the most sane thing I've felt since we got here. Then focus on that, she grinned. Focus on getting up to Pine Lakes and calling for help. Focus on our warm bed and all the wonderful things we'll do there. You drive a hard bargain, Ted laughed. Susan patted his cheek lovingly and stepped back. Let's grab the slickers and get out of here. We have to be close to the resort by now. Ted nodded silently and removed their rain gear from the hooks by the fireplace. It was no longer raining, but it couldn't hurt being prepared. He scanned the cabin one last time, sighed deeply, and opened the cabin's only door. They walked slowly to the center of the clearing, arms around each other's waists, and looked back at the rotting cabin surrounded by gnarled, overgrown shrubs. The air was cool and still. Nothing moved. Not a breath of wind rustled the tall trees surrounding them. Can we get the hell out of here, please? Susan asked. I've never been so ready in my life, Ted replied. They crunched through the forest with purpose as low gray clouds scudded overhead. Susan took some comfort in being able to see the sky. Gray or not, it was there. The utter blackness of the night before had thankfully retreated, revealing that everything was still where it belonged. The world was still here. She and Ted were still here. Do you remember the first song we ever danced to? Ted asked out of the blue. The first song? Yeah, that one by Journey. When you love a woman. Why the hell are you thinking about that? I don't know, he chuckled. I was just thinking of how nervous I was. I wasn't exactly Fred Astaire on the dance floor. You did fine. Although I remember feeling your sweaty palms through my dress. Your date was dancing with Jenny Pullman, Ted recalled. She had more men pass through her legs than a subway turnstile. I forgot about her, Susan exclaimed. She dyed her hair bright blonde and her eyebrows were jet black. She looked like a Halloween mask. My date, from what I heard, left early and hooked up with someone on the football team. Likely the entire football team. Why were you with her? She had a reputation for putting out, Ted laughed. I was 17. Promiscuity and teenage angst go together like chocolate and peanut butter. You're an animal, Susan laughed. If it wasn't for terrible prom dates, we may never have met. Ted nodded and grabbed her hand. I used to love those high school dances. Not because I was trying to get laid. Well, not all the time. But just the atmosphere. A room full of sweaty teenagers trying to make out in the dark. Loud music. Friends. Do we ever have friends as close as we did in high school? I was twelve when I went to my first dance, Susan said. The boys stood on one side and the girls on the other, scared as hell to cross that line in the middle of the floor. My first dance ever was with Billy Masters. I'll never forget it. You had a crush on this, Billy? No, not at all, she laughed. We danced to a Bon Jovi song. We were at arm's length, afraid to touch each other. You know what I mean? The Frankenstein dance? Ted nodded and laughed. The room was quiet and the chorus was just kicking in and Billy farted. He what? Ted laughed loudly and held his stomach. He farted, she repeated. It was loud. I'm talking train wreck loud. He ran out of the auditorium like tigers were chasing him. That is the best story ever, 
Ted said, still laughing. What did you do? I sat down with my friends and wouldn't talk about it. If it wasn't dark in there, I'm sure they would have seen my face was beet red. Hilarious, he shouted. It is now, Susan said. It wasn't then. Twelve years old and traumatized. Ted laughed louder and harder. It was refreshing. In all of this craziness, he was still capable of laughter. Okay, Ted said, rubbing his waistline. Now I have to pee. So go pee, she said. I'm glad you can laugh at my expense, she teased. Ted winked and walked twenty feet into the brush. As he urinated into the layer of dead leaves, he watched a squirrel slowly crunch across the carpet of pine needles. It was the first animal, the first normal animal he'd seen since the accident. It stopped, sniffed the air, and looked at Ted, its nose wiggling. What are you looking at, buddy? Ted called, peeping Tom. The squirrel turned to leave, leaping into the air to latch onto a nearby tree, when a hand shot up from the mud and leaves and grabbed it in mid-flight. The squirrel chattered and squeaked as the filthy hand crushed it between strong fingers. Ted heard its tiny bones cracking in the hand's grip. Blood shot from the squirrel's mouth as a head popped above the forest floor, caked in wet earth and pine needles. It was a young boy, maybe eight years old. It was hard to tell with this face and hair coated in dark filth. He looked at Ted and smiled. Mud tumbled from his mouth. His teeth were caked in thick sludge. Ted backed away slowly, fumbling with his zipper. Hi, the boy exclaimed. He put the dead squirrel to his lips and bit its head off in one clean crunch. Tastes like chicken, he said. No, 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 Ted whispered. Not happening. Do you know where the bus is, mister? My mom's going to kill me if I'm not home in time for dinner. Ted backed away, step by step afraid to take his eyes off the child as he smeared the squirrel's blood on his lips. Other hands broke the ground surface, like a scene from one of Romero's zombie flicks. Ted found he couldn't make his mouth work, couldn't manage to call out to Susan and warn her. His vocal cords were paralyzed. Ted broke through the brush, still staring into the forest when Susan called out to him. Who are you talking to? No one, he stuttered. I wasn't the one talking. What? I'm sure I heard voices. Ted pointed into the forest with a trembling hand. What? Susan shouted. What is it? Susan walked past him, to the edge of the clearing. She stopped and put a hand over her mouth. The ground was a churning sea of clutching hands and bobbing heads. The little boy Ted had seen was still munching happily on the raw squirrel meat. A little girl with filthy pigtails had a mouthful of earthworms. A second boy grabbed at the bark of a tree, trying to pull himself from the wet ground. Wrinkled, pale fingers continued breaching the surface of the forest floor as Susan watched in abject horror. She counted a dozen heads, all belonging to children under the age of ten. She remembered what the old woman had said, a bus full of kids that had gone missing after tumbling down the mountain. Susan was meeting them for the first time. Those poor kids, she muttered. Poor kids, Ted shrieked. He's eating a fucking squirrel he killed with his own hands. Hey, lady, a little girl shouted. Over here. Come play with us. Her eyes were white. Her nose was missing completely, leaving a ragged hole in her face packed with mud and waxy, gray, wriggling worms. Susie, we have to go, Ted cried. 
It's so sad. Fuck sad, he screamed. We have to get out of here. The boy gripping the tree had pulled himself from the earth. Susan gasped, noticing that nothing existed below his waist but the tangled remains of his intestines. She choked, gagging as her mouth was suddenly filled with the sour tang of bile. For God's sake, Susie, run, Ted shouted. They tore blindly through the forest as the shrill voices taunted them. The woods burst to life with wet crunching and the soft thumps of muddy earth being tossed aside by groping hands. Susan looked over her shoulder, afraid they were being pursued. She tripped on an exposed rock and fell to the ground with a thud, sliding in the wet leaves. She cracked her head on a tree root and felt the warm blood run down over her face. Ted charged ahead, unaware his wife was in trouble. Ted! Susan screamed. Ted, help me! He stopped and turned, seeing Susan lying on the ground, breathing heavily and bleeding profusely from a scalp wound. As Susan struggled to stand, the ground tasted her warm blood. Hands shot up through the earth on either side and clutched at her flesh, scratching her skin with jagged, black fingernails. One pale hand grabbed her hair and pulled viciously. Another squeezed her breast painfully. Susan was beyond words. She screamed into the sky, blubbering, unintelligible, terrified wails. Susan, get away from them, Ted hollered. I can't, she moaned. Ted, help me! A fish belly hand burst from the muck and wrapped around Susan's face. Her horrified shouts grew muffled as she thrashed wildly on the sodden ground. Pale, wrinkled fingers probed inside her mouth and pushed into her nostrils, tasting of mold and soggy rotten vegetation. Her tears cut lines through the filth on her face. Ted fell to his knees at her side and pried the groping fingers from her face. The hands pawed his thighs and crotch as he knocked them away with his closed fist. Just the touch of the clammy, frigid flesh was enough to send horrified tremors up his spine. Get them off, Susan wailed. Ted stood and kicked at the hands, stomping on them, hearing brittle bones snap beneath his shoe. Muffled cries of rage bubbled up through the ground as the soft mud heaved with their frantic movements. They're going to pull me under, Susan cried. Already her right leg had been dragged beneath the surface, disappearing as if in quicksand. The hell they are, he panted, continuing his assault. Get the fuck off, he bellowed. Get the fuck off, a voice mocked from beneath the mud. Ted crushed another hand beneath his shoe, noticing a tree branch five feet to his right. The end was jagged and broken, a perfect weapon. He rushed to grab the heavy spear and came back to Susan's side. Whatever you do, don't get in the way, he warned her. Ted raised the branch above his head and jammed it into the soft ground. Immediately, he felt the tip deflect off something hard as a pained squeal sounded beneath him. He had no time to celebrate. There were at least a dozen of them below. Time and time again, Ted jammed the branch into the mud. Each time, he was greeted with a satisfying cry of pain. As the hands retreated beneath the surface, Susan rolled away from the branch, stood, and ran behind Ted who'd begun sweating profusely from exertion. He couldn't stop. Three minutes of skewering the ground with his new weapon was all it took. The cries faded away. The earth settled. The end of the stick was coated in thick crimson slime. Flaps of skin and hair clung to the splinters. 
Susan babbled and looked at the ground, waiting for other hands to reach up through the earth and pull her down to where they lived. They're only children, she sobbed. They aren't children anymore, Ted panted. This place has gotten to them, ruined them. I don't know how, but I know that. Just kids, she whined. Just little boys and girls whose parents will never know what happened to their babies. I know, baby, I know, but we can't dwell on that. I need you to be with me. I can't do this by myself. Susan shook her head slowly and wouldn't look at her husband. She was slipping away, into that dark place her mind had retreated to after the miscarriage. She'd gotten so much better over the years since, but still she'd disconnect now and then, unable to deal with the reality of what had happened. Ted couldn't afford to lose her now. They had to keep moving. He had to be her rock. He couldn't let fear control him, or else Susan would fall into despair permanently. Baby, we have to go, Ted pleaded. We can't let it get dark again. We just can't. Sitting at home, waiting by the telephone, praying when it rings, there's good news on the other end. Ted planted his branch in the ground and grabbed Susan by the shoulders, shaking her hard. Her head snapped back and forth lifelessly. Susan, you have to snap out of it, Ted shouted. Look at me. She shook her head and mumbled sadly. Look at me, Ted screamed. Susan lifted her head and stared into his eyes. Susan, listen. Ted paused. He had to choose his words carefully or he risked losing her for good. What happened is not your fault. It's no one's fault. You can't blame yourself for something that's out of your control. He wasn't sure if she was hearing him. She watched him silently, lips quivering, tears leaking down her face. We've made it this far, Ted continued. We didn't even know if we'd make it through those first months. Do you remember? Susan nodded imperceptibly, but at least it was something. We did it together. Always together. We worked through our pain and we made it. No one expected it to be easy, but damn it, we did it. Our love is the glue that holds us together, and it's stronger than anything this world can throw our way. Susan's lip twitched in what may have been an attempt at a smile. Her tears slowed. Don't you realize we survived something other couples haven't? We're stronger together. Nothing will ever change that. When Susan nodded, she was more herself, more alert. She was seeing him, hearing him. His words slowly sank in, shining a light through the waves of darkness threatening to consume her. Susan threw her arms around him and hugged tightly. She knew he wouldn't let her down, no matter how much she felt like slipping beneath the waters of tragedy. It was in Ted's nature to protect her, with his life if necessary. I love you so much, she cried. You'll never know how much. I know, he whispered in her ear. I've always known. He ran his hand over her damp hair and wiped away her tears with his thumbs. Her color returned and her trembling ceased. She felt safe in Ted's arms. Thank you, she said. For what? For never giving up on me. Ted kissed her forehead and beamed. Not a chance. Ted pulled the branch from the ground and wiped the bloody tip in a pile of dead leaves. 
Susan grimaced and turned away, peering into the woods for the slightest movement. She looked back at the disturbed ground and squinted. Already it felt like a bad dream. Susan gasped. Her fear reawakened as a dozen small figures appeared in the distance, shrouded in fog. Dirty, tattered clothing clung to their bodies. Their eyes were full of sadness. Ted, Susan whispered. I see them, he replied. One little girl stepped forward as Susan tensed to run. Instead of running after them, the girl stopped and raised her hand in a quick wave. The gesture hurt Susan's heart. How many lives had this forest claimed? How many little girls who'd never see their sweet sixteen, or little boys who'd never grow up to be doctors or lawyers? How many parents' lives were shattered when the laughter stopped and the silence filled their once happy homes? How many sleepless nights waiting for a phone call or a knock at the door? Susan put it out of her mind and returned the wave. She couldn't help herself. The scattered line of children slowly dissolved into the fog as if they'd never been there. In the few moments of struggle, they hadn't noticed the sky slowly darkening. Let's get out of here, she said. I don't think I can handle any more surprises. Ted grunted and clutched his branch tightly. Everything felt like a dream within a dream. Time was beginning to fray around the edges. The resort has to be close, he said. If we hurry, we might get there before dark. Susan nodded and grabbed Ted's hand. Is any of this real? I've been asking myself the same thing, he replied. Thanks for listening this week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Who's Afraid as much as we enjoy bringing it to you. Remember to come back next week or subscribe at SerialAudio.com so you never miss a new episode. You can learn more about this podcast and other serialized fiction shows by visiting our website at SerialAudio.com. That's all one word, SerialAudio.com, where you can subscribe to this and our other shows via RSS, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast players. While you're at it, if you're enjoying this podcast, we'd love it if you'd share it with your friends. Even better, if you have a few spare seconds, leave a review on iTunes. To help support this show, sign up as a patron at patreon.com slash serial audio. You'll get early access to episodes ad-free and special bonuses like behind-the-scenes author and narrator interviews. Thank you again from all of us at SerialAudio.com. It's totally binge-worthy.